Blog Talk Radio.
Chicago, August 20th to the 23rd, as Chicago welcomes the first annual Black Wall Street National Conference. Joining us in our efforts in sustaining and increasing black business. To register, visit www.blackwallstreetdistrict.com and listen to Black Wall Street USA Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com slash cbbn. This ad was sponsored by Chicago's blackbusinessnetwork.com. Join us today and touch the world. And all eyes will be on Chicago as Black Wall Street prepares for the first Black Wall Street National Convention and Summit, scheduled for August 20th to 23rd right here in Chicago. You listen to Black Wall Street USA for Thursday, August 19th, and Sonia Perdue, founder of Chicago's Black Business Network.com. Whether you believe it or not, we're winding down to get energized for this weekend. You might hear a little more music tonight. But uh, most importantly, importantly, we want to share the details of the weekend for you. We have a lot of events all wrapped up in this convention. And you can see I'm losing my voice. But we want you to know that we're here every Thursday evening on blogtalkradio.com slash CBBN with our host and the chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago, Mr. Ron Carter. You can join us every Thursday evening and be a part of sustaining and increasing black businesses you may listen to a rebroadcast of CBBN on Blog Talk Radio at WJPCChicago.com. Our show will air Saturday morning, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m., but, of course, this Saturday morning we'll know where you'll be. You'll be at the summit with us. 
we want you to know our call-in number is 347-326-9477. Our call-in number is 347-326-9477. The chat room is open. Leave your company information and website links in the chat room. Press the number one if you would like to speak to one of our guests or if you have a comment. Let's do this. Let's bring uh, our chairman, Black Wall Street Chicago, on the air. Good evening, Ron. How are you today? I'm okay, Sonia. How are you? You wear me out. I can't talk anymore. <laughs> I know. Lord, I, I hear that down. voice. I hear. I hear certain. If I didn't know better, I would say, "Who is this on the uh, on our air with us?" But uh, <laughs> I know your style. I know your your spirit. But the voice, my dear, you must have been working a lot of hard with you. What you doing? Talking to a lot of people, doing registration, or what's going on with you? Yes, that's that's what I'm doing. I'm handling the registration, and uh, it's been it's been quite a challenge. They're they're coming in. They're coming in from all over the country. We reached out to a lot of people, and a lot of people helped us reach out. And, and that's very it was it's been a very exciting week to watch people come forth, help us market. Uh, this convention and summit and reach out to us and come over and say, I got an hour or two. Do you, do you need me to do something? They right, storm right. me on that one. But um, mm-hmm. it's, it's a great feeling to know that all eyes on, are on Chicago. And as right. we prepare for uh, Friday, it's coming up. We counted down. I think I started counting down at like uh, 39 days or something, and wow, can Correct. you believe tomorrow is blast off run? Yeah, matter of fact, it do seem as though you brought it to our attention. I remember 49 days, maybe about last week, you said 49 days. <laughs> and no. uh, I didn't pay no attention. I said, okay, 49 days. But to me, it seemed as though you said 49 days to go last week. So, you know, there is an intensity of the the summit, of this being the first national Black Wall Street summit. Um, Even though we're working on our 13th summit here in Chicago, the, the, the focus of this particular being the first one, yes, we're doing our regular format of sustaining and increasing black businesses, but there's a special uh concerned there's a special attention uh because one of the uh i guess the highlights of this summit so many highlights but one of the highlights is uh mr turner with the documentary before they die is something that brings the spirit of what this whole black wall street movement is and what this whole black wall street connection is happening throughout the country. It's not all what we would want to be, but it's more than what we expect it to be as the cooperation, uh, some of our media partners from the Chicago Defender, from the the Citizen newspaper, uh, the South Suburban, all have seen the, the passion and of the mission of what we're doing and what we have to do. So, uh, in our meetings, as we meet every Thursday morning, focusing on the issues and then focusing somewhat on the logistics because our concern has been to try to make it as inclusive as possible but working diligently to, in a very timely manner. 
So there is a big change in what we planned it maybe about uh, ooh, four or five months ago to where we are today, but the changes still bring us home to the mission of sustaining and increasing black businesses. As many people have stepped up, as you said, to say, I want to take a part. Uh, I want to be uh, on it. And then at the same time, as new people come uh, be a part of Black Wall Street, they once they get involved in our planning meetings, they leave the meeting and say, oh, this is what this is all about. Uh, there was a, a letter to the editor in this week's um, co- uh, issue of South Street Journal where one of the participants did a letter to the editor expressing what she hoped to experience before she came to a Black Wall Street summit. And in her letter, she addressed what she thought she was going to witness and then what she ended up witnessing was something so new and brand new in conventions and and, and, and summits and uh, conferences that was directly different than what she expected. I realized that, but hearing someone else outside of our organizing group to say the same thing brings a little bit more home to us of what we're doing because sometimes we are so involved in the process over the last three years of doing what we know that needs to be done. An outside person can see exactly what we're doing, sometimes better than what we do because we're somewhat working on a machine clock every three months doing what we're doing. So as new people come in and they sit at the table and they listen, and they make their comments, but then at the end of the meeting, they get the right sense of what we're doing. And I think that that's going to be the same thing for this summit. And with the documentary Before They Die, a lot of people heard of it. Some people feel what Black Wall Street is about. A lot of people, they have different perspectives of what the term is about because you have a rap group called the Black Wall Street. You have record labels called the Black Wall Street. You have financial institutions called Black Wall Street. You have housing developments that's called Black Wall Street. And then when we get back down to the, the base of it from Tulsa, Oklahoma, it kind of brings it home. So we're real delighted even on our program tonight, is to have Mr. Turner on to discuss the, the the impact of what happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma, as it relates to today. And then when we look at the different issues uh, that the summit is going to address and how they definitely had a, a, uh, a foundation for what Tulsa, Oklahoma was about um, prior to 1921. So we're on a machine type of uh, schedule and doing what we do, but we stopped that machine to feel the spirit, to feel the movement, to feel the purpose, to feel the historical value of not only the past, the present, but how we're going to project 
what is going to happen in the future. So we have a a legacy with an urgency in our purpose of the Black Wall Street USA. And so I feel honored being the chairman, and I feel uh, honored to work with the many people that uh, have taken part and have shown and expressed and have shared their genuine interest in what we're doing just as equal as anyone else. The expressions may be different, but the focus and the spirit of why people are taking part of Black Wall Street is just as equal and greater, uh, almost in the spirit of Tulsa, Oklahoma itself. That That's in the past, but now we're looking at trying to catch up <laughs> to what the past was. That's a real trick in history lesson to try to repeat or make that our agenda to recreate what we did have. So, yeah, the agenda is tight, the mission is tight, the the uh, um, the speakers are going to be tight, and we're going to be running it like the, the, a summit, not like a conference, not like a convention, but a summit that will address motions and resolutions to move and to sustain and increase black businesses. Should I go on? Thank you, Brown. You listening to Black Wall Street? <laughs> oh, I know you could. Oh, I know you I could. I know it. That's right. <laughs> you listening to Black Wall Street USA with Ron Carter, Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago, and I'm Sonia Purdue. I, I'm, I'm going to go to Reggie Turner in a minute, but since you put that out there, should I go on? I'm going to put this out there. Uh, Tom joined a, a morning show call to do an interview with Ron, which will be playing. Uh, it played Wednesday morning, played Thursday morning, and it will play again uh, Friday morning. It was one of their community news items. And so the young man said to me, it was a two-and-a-half-minute interview. They're going to do a bite, a sound bite. But when he got to Ron, Ron went like 10 minutes. I said, well, you were lucky because he could have went on like another hour. But <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. So he and I had that little discussion. Didn't know that, did you? But anyway, no, uh I know you did, but uh, you can listen to it again on uh, Tom Joyner Morning Show. And, of course, we're very thankful for for their support and reaching out to us. And let, and let me ask you that question since I brought up the, up the Tom Joyner Morning Show and their support. Now, uh, you tell me the significance or if there is really some significance. I feel that there is. Chicago's um, – let me see. I'm mixing them up now. Black Wall Street, uh, Chicago – is actually a local organization. Now, it's part of a national organization. Tom Joyner Morning Show is global. Correct. Now, here you are, Mr. Carter, in yes. Chicago, starting out three years ago, being yes. broadcast and announced globally. Mm-hmm. What's the significance of that? Well, uh, the significance is that, you know, as we've been you know, on our radio program here, there is a significance, but and I'm not going to play down the significance, but I guess I want to really focus on, as we've been doing our radio show for so many months now, The what is a major focus of concern is that what's happening in Chicago is happening in Oakland, it's happening in San Diego, it's happening in the 
Atlanta, happening in New York, happening. All black communities are faced with the same dilemma that our population is not in parity with the growth of our particular cities. I mean, you take Washington, D.C., majority black, but the contract procurement in their businesses is less than 1%. Even if we talk about San Diego, talk about Oakland, all of our cities have the same dilemma. We all have the same dilemma regarding the our youth, that they are not in line with our development. They're not in line with the future growth of our prospective cities. So the significance of it is that we're able to uh, get our message out. Now, I mean, not playing down the Tom Joyner show, but as we have shared many times on the uh, Chicago Black Business Network, is that as we talk to people around the city, I mean, I'm sorry, around the country, we're still sharing the same identical concerns and problems. And as we keep communicating and keep communicating, we're still having those same frustrations. So it was good and significant that we are letting the country know about this Black Wall Street National Summit this this weekend. But the the, the message is pretty sad that it's the same message, is that if New York had different problems than blacks in Chicago, and if Oakland had different problems than blacks in New York or Chicago or Atlanta, then we have some type of up and down type of uh, concerns. But all of our concerns, all of our issues, from the dropout to the crime to everything else, is basically the same. It's almost like there when we push the idea of Black Wall Street districts, it's no different than Chinatown, uh, Greek Town, Hispanic Town, in Chicago we call it Little Village, where those communities have an economic base. We're proud that here in Chicago that we're working on from one Black Wall Street district that we're working on six Black Wall Street districts and that other cities have to do the same. And it's not a point of us catching up to America. It's kind of bringing America to its focal point that we got a, a major concern. I am one that don't look at the picture of, of, of uh, it's our fault. I think that it is a mentality, whether it is from that um, Willie Lynch syndrome or it's just a basic institutional racism to what is happening to our youth that is a reflection of what is happening to our economic stability in parity to our population of award, of, of not of award, I'm sorry, of our city. So there is a significance 
that we are talking on the Tom Joyner Show, talking about this here summit. But the main significance is that these cities around the country, as it relates to the uh, uh, black community, must realize that we are not alone based on our status quo of our stability in America, regardless of the fact that our proud and, and our spirit of the historical election of Barack Obama, that we all are proud and we all share tears of joy and share tears of at last, but we still are not in parity to what is due. So uh, that parity and that relationship and that significance on the Tom Joyner Show, which I hope the significance is that we need to do more of this national communications. And so I'm very grateful for the uh, Chicago Black Business Network that made this program possible for us to do so. So there I go again. You asked me one little question, and here I am. That's <laughs> one of those things, all right? And you do it well. You do it well. You listen to Black yeah. Wall Street USA. Our caller number is 347-326-9477. Let's go to the phone line and welcome Mr. Reggie Turner of the Tulsa Project. Thank you for being with us this evening, Reggie. You're on the line. Hey, Sonia. Hey, Ron. It's good to be with you guys. Okay, all right. How are you doing, sir? I'm good, brother. I'm good. It's, and okay. it sounds like you're in good voice, good spirits, and anticipation of a big weekend. Oh, yeah. It's been laid out for us based on our hard work, but the uh, bringing it home, as we indicated early in this program, the significance of us uh, trying to, uh, in our direction, to go back to the past and not go back totally to the past, to what happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma, but the the, the drive and the self-significance of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, let me ask you, uh, first I do want to get into some background of uh, Before They Die, but with the, the film itself, how do you relate the film Before uh, They Die as to what we're doing and other cities are doing, uh, picking up the mantle and the spirit of Black Wall Street. How much of significance is the film to this here present-day movement? Well, I think the significance and, and nexus, the tie-in between the film and the movement that you lead and that takes place in other cities and that will be celebrated with your summit this weekend, is that the film bridges both the past, the history of Black Wall Street, and because the survivors, surviving victims are still with us, they bring us both present and give us encouragement for the future. We can go from where they have been and what they've experienced, and we share the fact that their story was systematically buried and hidden and still not taught in our school systems today to hearing the words of their success during that time, not just the tragedy that they experienced, but the beauty of the community that they lived in. When you hear 95-year-old Dr. Olivia Hooker talk about she was six years old before she ever went 
into downtown White Tulsa because she had no need to go into the white part of town. Everything that she needed was in her community, the grocery stores, the banks, all of the businesses, all of the stores to shop, groceries, haberdasheries, all of the businesses were right there in her community, and they were able to support one another. That provides us with the blueprint of not only what had happened during that time, but what can happen during our time now and to build for a future Black Wall Street within this nation. That's the significance of our film. We were at the, um, I believe it's something like the 80th Buck Billiken Parade here in Chicago uh, this past weekend, and Black Wall Street had a, a tent uh, promoting our summit and promoting the things that we're doing. And a lady walked up to our tent, and uh, she made the indication that I was born and raised in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, but she also indicated that she did not know anything about the uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, prior to uh, what happened in 1921. She didn't know anything about it until uh, in the, until the mid '90s that she realized it. And this lady was approximately about in her mid 40s. How do you explain that absence from people that actually live in Tulsa, Oklahoma? Well, uh, Ron, both you and, and Sonia have seen the film, and I know Ron, you've seen it multiple times. You will recall that there were some very poignant moments in the film where many of the survivors told of the specific fact that their families did not discuss the riot. They did not discuss it for fear that it might happen again. Uh-huh. They did not discuss it because they did not want to create animosity between their children, their descendants, and the existing white community in Tulsa. And there were several survivors who refused the opportunity to sit and be interviewed and to talk about it because it was just too painful for them to relive. And even some of their children refused to allow us to speak to the survivors because many of them, when they do revisit the subject, it sends their blood pressure soaring, it causes nightmares, it truly aggravates and upsets them. So right. Well, let me, if I can, Reggie, all right. If we can, just let's, let's go back just a little bit for some of our uh, listeners that may not even know what we're talking about. <laughs> you have uh, produced a documentary called Before We Die, Before They Die, uh, giving when I first, um, I knew somewhat what the film was about before I seen it, but the name threw me off based on what the film actually addressed. Um, can you give us the what brought you to do this project and the content of what people and why you did it and the, the direction of uh, some background in producing such a documentary? I like yourself and many others were completely in the, in the dark in reference to the story of Black Wall Street and the atrocity of what we call 
the Tulsa race riot, which is really a misnomer. It really was ethnic cleansing. It was a massacre. It was a pogrom. Uh, it has become politically correct or politically acceptable to refer to it as a riot, but it is technically and historically inaccurate. Black Wall Street, as the Greenwood section of North Tulsa came to be known, was the most successful black community that ever existed within this country. At the time that the event took place in 1921, it was a completely self-sustaining community of 10,000 people and attributed an incident in an elevator caused the destruction of that entire community within 16 hours. When Professor Charles Ogletree, Harvard Law Professor Professor Ogletree, went to Tulsa in 1999 to promote his latest book at the time, he was taken into a ante room and told that they wanted to introduce him to a group of VIPs. The VIPs that he met were the living survivors of the Tulsa race riots. Many of them were blind, infirmed, and incapable of moving around very well. But what they all worked very well capable of is expressing their concern and their ire of the dilemma that they had been faced with. The reality was that a commission had been formed in 1999, excuse me, 1998, to investigate the claims of the Tulsa race riot. And a commission by the state had published a report which held the city and state and the federal government responsible for the actions which destroyed this community. Yet, over the two-year period of time, nothing had been done as a result of what the commission had reported. And these survivors wanted to bring a lawsuit against the, the state, the city, and the federal government. But no attorney in the state of Oklahoma would take the case. Professor Ogletree, upon hearing about this, excused himself from the room and called me on his cell phone and said, quickly, tell me what you know about the Tulsa race riot. Mm -hmm. I was ignorant to it, and despite the fact that both of us hold undergraduate degrees in history from Stanford, we had never heard of it. I went online and Googled. Nothing came up. He took the case and formed a legal team, a dream team, of lawyers, including the late Johnny Cochran, uh, a gentleman by the name of Michael Hausfeld, who represented uh, the Jewish community in the Holocaust case, several other attorneys from around the country who were just top of their field and put together a legal dream team to represent them and, and to bring this legal challenge forward. Uh, my role became that to document the story. And we set about on this journey for justice with the survivors to document the case and to bring this story to the public because though there had been sporadic reports of the incident, the vast majority, when I say vast, I mean 90 to 95% of the country had no idea that this event had ever taken place or fully understood the ramifications or the implications of it. Some people have so, uh, uh, Attorney Overtree kind of came to you and said you need to do this project? Well, it actually was the other way. He came to me seeking information, and as we okay. talked about the case, 
I said to him, Charles, you need to document this. And Charles said, you're the entertainment attorney. You, you know everybody. Then go for it. And I had never made a film before and made a point to him that that was not my calling. But those of us who are spiritually based understand that we do not always choose the path that we walk on. Correct, and, correct. And, uh, spiritually, I was guided and led to undertake this task. We raised the funds, assembled the camera crew, team, and we began to travel this country for the last seven years to document this journey for justice, which took us through the federal court system all the way to the Supreme Court where our case was denied certiorari, which means they refused to hear the case. And then in 2007, we brought the case to Congress and introduced a bill to try and force the government to give these people their day in court or to do the same thing that this country had done for the Japanese survivors of internment from World War II and provide them with direct reparations and compensation for their ordeal. That was the motivation behind our efforts. Well, let me say, for that to be your first, uh, I'm surprised to hear that you never did a documentary before, uh, because I must admit, um, it is, uh, I don't know what happened that you weren't lined up for an Academy <laughs> or, or Oscar for the work that you did. Uh, maybe I'm biased based on the closeness that it touched me, but regardless of that, uh, what happened that the Oscars didn't knock on your door for a nomination? Well, I'll tell you, uh, having spent more than 30 years in the entertainment industry, I understand, um, and let me say thank you for for your kudos for my work. I, I hear it from a lot of people, and I appreciate it. But I also know when you make a film uh, about us and you make a film where you talk about an atrocity that took place on us, perpetrated by the majority society, and to talk about how no one has ever been brought to justice, for it, you're not likely to receive a lot of accolades from organizations which are dominated by those very same people uh, with that mindset. If it, it has been called the Black Schindler's List, well, Schindler's List received a number of awards and accolades in doing that, but that's the story of a different people, and that's part of what this country has yet to fully embrace and recognize that we have been at the foundation of the building of this country. Right. Yet, well, time, right. we're not being afforded the same luxuries, courtesies, and rights of others in this country. So I don't lament that I have not won these awards because the film was not made for that purpose. The fact that it is touching people, the fact that now we've made it available so that it is being taught and will be taught in the schools, that people will be educated, will know. Oh, okay, so you're saying that now the film is being uh, uh, distributed through the uh, school system? Well, what we've done is uh, one of the events we had was our premiere in Tulsa, uh, which drew a crowd of over 2,500 people, black and white, never had a crowd that large, an integrated crowd that large in Tulsa for any event. Uh, I met the superintendent of schools for the state of Oklahoma who met me with tears in her eyes 
and told me how motivated she was by the film and that they were now going to teach it in the school system there. And before I could say thank you, she interrupted me to tell me that the only issue was they only changed textbooks every seven years. So it would be another seven years before they would be able to teach it in the school system. That was unacceptable to us. Uh, we live in this modern age of technology, and that's why we're on blog talk radio right now. I decided to create an educational version of my film, which is a 30-minute version of the full 92-minute version of the film, and a study guide, which we have available on our website for download, which we make available to any school that will sign a one-page pledge, which essentially says we will take one day and teach this in our classes. They can receive version of the film and the study guide completely free. So that there is well, no well, we're going to, Brother uh, uh, Reggie, we're getting ready to go on uh, to a break, but prior to the break, uh, Sonia, if I may, uh, you're going to be here in Chicago as well. Is that correct? Or are, yes. you, are you able to make it? Yes, Saturday. Right. Uh, the summits are based on actions and resolutions. And I will hope that we entertain a resolution at this summit that here in Chicago we make the appropriate actions to make the Chicago public schools accountable uh, for putting this documentary in the teaching of our youth. So uh, be prepared uh, when we address um, question and answers with direction of action. Uh, please hold on with us. We have to go to a break, and we want to come back on the other side and talk to some of our uh, callers regarding before they die. Uh, Sonia? Thank you for listening to Black Wall Street USA on CBBN on Blog Talk Radio. Our host this evening is Mr. Ron Carter, Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. I'm Sonia Perdue, founder of Chicago's Black Business Network.com. And we want you to stay with us if you can, Mr. Turner. Uh, Mr. Turner, who is the head of the Tulsa Project, is also on the line with us. Uh, we're going to take a couple of minutes right here, and we're going to be right back with you. But the reason for all this energy is because I feed off the power of faith, optimism, and positivity. And in case you didn't know it, the fun has started. And all efforts to maintain it cannot be done half-hearted. Now recognize, they say time flies when you're having fun. But I say, the more time you got for fun, the less time flies. The sun is rising, the birds are starting to sing. The flowers are blossoming, oh, something great is happening. And I'm feeling good, good. my mind made up. But the reason for this smile on my face and why I appreciate every breath 
It's because I'm surrounded by a lot of love and respect. Plus, I realize the more we appreciate, the more we get back. And that's not theory, it's fact. But you want to know the real reason why I'm just grinning and cheesing? It's simply because I'm still breathing. The sun is rising, the birds are starting to sing. The flowers are blossoming, oh, something great is happening. And I'm feeling good. My mind made up, ain't nothing gonna stop me from feeling this way. I'm feeling good, ain't nothing wrong with a good thing. And I'm making history on this day. I'm feeling good. I've been wanted with so much now that I've learned to appreciate. And I'm feeling good. A great day to be alive, but this life never felt so great. But the real reason I'm excited is because I recognize negativity and know exactly how to fight it. Plus, it's by my conscience in which I am guided. I am way too blessed to be stressed. For me, nothing is impossible. I am too reluctant to succumb to the pressures of worldly obstacles. The sun is rising, the birds are starting to sing. The flowers are blossoming, oh, something great is happening. And I'm feeling good. Yeah. My mind made up, ain't nothing gonna stop me from feeling this way. I'm feeling good, ain't nothing wrong with a good thing. And I'm making history on this day. I'm feeling good. I've been wanted with so much now that I've learned to appreciate. And I'm feeling good. A great day to be alive, but this life never felt so great. And we're back, and we all eyes will be on Chicago this weekend for the first Black Wall Street National Convention and Summit. Before we go back to our guest this evening, and we want to thank Reggie Turner for taking uh, the time out of this important week <laughs> over there in Phoenix to, to call in and be with us. Let's bring our host, Mr. Ron Carter, back on the air. Ron, are you there? I am here, Sonia, and just as before our break, um, the summits are based on action, direction. And as we're talking to Mr. Turner regarding the historical significance of before they die, we definitely want to take part in promotion of the documentary as it relates to not only our youth, but to those that are beyond youth to understand the significance. Uh, I would like to uh, address Mr. Turner as it relates to other parts of the country, uh, uh, Rosewood, uh, Bronzeville. Um, do you have, in your working on this project of Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, is there any other cities uh, or uh, activities or historical moments that you know of that's similar to what happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma? Well, certainly the concept of destruction of black cities by rioting white 
mobsters, there is unfortunately a litany uh, of that. The summer of 1918 was known as the, the Red Summer because there were so many race riots, Kansas City, Charlotte. Uh, there were several cities that were torched and burned, uh, but the significance of Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Black Wall Street was because of the financial viability of that city. But certainly what took place in Rosewood and the destruction and damage there, and even years before uh, what took place in Tulsa, in Atlanta, the huge race riot there, uh, there's a great, and great is a poor choice of words, there's an ugly history in this country of the burning, looting, and destruction of black communities, often charged simply uh, by racism. Tulsa was racism, but it was also greed because of the success of these black folks, what they owned the oil that was on their land at the same time when Tulsa was the oil capital of the world was one of the things that was most pervasive in leading to the destruction of that community. So it is unique in that it was economically charged and based as well as racial hatred in doing that, and that's what makes it stand out differently from the other black cities that were destroyed through violence throughout our history. There was a not a violent uh, history of black economic stability that was destroyed as it relates to uh, here in Chicago. It was uh, called Bronzeville, and what I know of in New York of uh, Harlem, both of those cities were economic sustainable through the policy numbers in which today is called here the Illinois State Lottery. Uh, the self-significance of black people that did not depend on welfare, but depended on each other. Uh, and you indicate the greed and jealousy. Uh, how do... Is that something that do you feel that the black community need to be more aware of as you speak about greed and jealousy uh, when it comes to, well, Caucasians? Well, I, I, I think the lessons that we learn from the experience of Black Wall Street, the destruction of that community during a time of Jim Crow legal segregation are important for us to understand even today as we live in what is supposed to be a fully integrated society. It is, I think, the lessons that we did not learn because this matter has not been taught. There has not been national dialogue and discussion so that we can learn from the errors and the mistakes of that time frame are largely in play when we hear the things that now take place in a national form in reference to President Barack Obama. Many of the things that the first black president or the first president who is black, we hear so much negativity about his efforts. We hear so much criticism of 
things that he says, things that he attempts to do, failures attributed to him that were strictly the result of his predecessors. That type of hatred, that type of bigotry, that type of negative perspective is all the result of the same type of animus that we saw that led to the destruction of Black Wall Street. There is envy. There is a segment of our society that can see when black folks take care of their own communities, take care of their own business, support one another, that strikes fear in these other communities and through ignorance in terms of how to work with us, how to be supportive with us, causes them to result to the lowest common denominator, which is violence. And in today's techno world, that can be cyber racism. If you look at the blogs, the animus that you hear towards the president, the racism that you hear towards the president, the racism that you hear in the society. When you look at Dr. Laura and her com- comments earlier in the week, utilizing the N-word so stridently. All of that shows that there is still a level of hostility, hatred, and ignorance pervasive to this country. It used to be called the silent majority. Now what happens is people can use screen names. They can sign on and spew the same kind of hatred without having the courage and fortitude to stand up and to be directly held accountable for it. So we must remain vigilant. We must remain conscious. While we are bona fide citizens in this country and we call ourselves African Americans, we also have to recognize that there are plenty of people here who would go back, wishes to go back in time. You know, I hear people all the time talking about the good old days, and they'll talk about the 40s and the 50s. The 40s and the 50s were not the good old days for black folks. So when they're talking about that they want to go back to those times, they're really trying to say at a time when we were under the thumb of the oppressive nature in this country, not to celebrate the great strides that we have made and we should be celebrating going forward today. My film causes us to look back and to recognize the greatness that we had, but really to try and focus on what it is that we as a country have lost through this type of attitude and destruction. Well, let me give you, a, um, and I have to admit, a personal frustration to a certain degree, mainly when I was younger. Um, and that was when there were films that came on. I'm 57 years old now, uh, and I guess when I was, before I was a teen, I... During those days, we kind of jumped to the TV because there was a real absence of uh, blacks on television. But then at one point, there were blacks on television, and it talked about the the frustrations and the issues. Or there's a story about the depression of blacks. And as a youth, I did not want to watch it. I did not want to see it because it was a reminder of me with the state of I may be in, not so much as an individual, but as a race, how it affected me as an individual. Do 
even though you have had a, a, a major turnout, matter of fact, here in Chicago, uh, when the, the film was last uh, premiered here and I walked in, the room was full. Uh, do you still, and then as the turnout that you had in Tulsa, Oklahoma, with 2,500 people, do you still feel that there is a sense of the black community do not want to be reminded uh, maybe the same way the elders of uh, Tulsa did not want to tell their youth of what happened in 1921? Well, there's always going to be members of the community who wish that we would let sleeping dogs lie. Uh, I've had a few folks who have said to me that while, brother, we understand the importance of this story, the reality of it is this country doesn't care and there's nothing that can be done about it, and so why are you out antagonizing people and, and creating a rift or expanding on the rift that may already exist between our communities? And I have to be honest, my bias, I don't care about that. The reality for me is that this race riot, this pogrom, this massacre, unlike any of the predecessors, any unlike those that have taken place since then, we have living survivors who have not received any compensation for their losses, despite all the legal documentation of the atrocity, what was lost, and a state recommendation to compensate and take care of these people. All the victims of the 1995 Oklahoma City bomb, 300 miles from Tulsa, every victim has been compensated. Right. There are people well, who received compensation who were not even victimized, just the psychological damage that they suffered by watching or hearing of this. All the survivors and victims, first responders, everyone from the 9-11 atrocity have been compensated. But here are the living survivors of America's worst case of domestic terrorism, and nothing has been done for them. So the fact that others would hope that we not tell this story, the others who feel that we are creating a greater chasm, I simply say, if you don't want to see the film, if you don't want to hear the history, change the channel. Don't watch. But there are those of us who will stay on point via the vanguard, the front of this movement, to make sure this story is told and to do everything within our ability to bring some compensation to these people and to do it before they die. There is a... That was, it happened in 1921. Do you have any um, um, perspective of how long did it take uh, the uh, black community of Tulsa, Oklahoma, to build that worth of wealth of going back? How did it, when did it start it? How did it start to be so successful how long of a length of time 
did it have them to establish so much? Do you well, have any idea how long that took or when did it start? Sure. Black folks came to Oklahoma in the late 1800s after the Emancipation Proclamation, which freed the slaves, traveled on the Trail of Tears with the so-called American Indian to what became the state of Oklahoma. At the time, that territory was being designated by the United States government as a black state and an Indian state. Oh, yeah? Yeah. What are you saying? Say that again, please. It was being designated as a black state and an Indian state. Half of the state, or a significant portion of the state, was Indian territory, federalized land, and the Indians were being moved from all the other parts of the country to reservations in this area. Black folks traveled with recently freed slaves traveled from the south and other parts country along the Trail of Tears with the Indians and settled in Oklahoma and were given plots of land for 160 acres by which to develop and build in this area. And because of the Jim Crow segregation laws, black folks were put together and we had to rely upon each other and they built these townships throughout the state. There were more black townships in the state of Oklahoma alone than there were collectively throughout the rest of the country. So our support for each other was actually forced upon us through racism. You know, that is some significant history right there. Yes. Yes, and it's the history that we've lost sight of and because we were forced to do business together, it actually became very, very natural and comfortable for us. The racism that kept us from being able to go into a white store, you think about it at the time, if you went into, if a black man or a woman went into a white store, first of all, they didn't really want your money or want you in their stores. But if you happened to have picked up a hat and put it on your head, you would have to buy that hat because the racism was such that a white person would not want to wear a hat that had been on a black person's head. The hostility that they faced caused them to recognize that they could buy the same goods and receive receive significantly better treatment by doing business with people who looked like them, people who shared the same experiences that they had. So we began in this city when they could not get a taxi in white Tulsa, when they could not get a bus. It didn't matter to them because they built in black Tulsa their own bus system, their own cab system. When they needed to see a doctor and white folks would not examine them, despite the Hippocratic oath, which doctors took to do no harm, they did not want to treat black folks. They treated them as they were someone's help or they needed their work in the field. But in the black community, we educated our children, sent them off to college, medical schools, and the only place where they could practice was back in Tulsa, Oklahoma, or other black communities where they were allowed to practice their trade. So we began to patronize these same people who were our children, our neighbors, 
our family and friends, and we built our own communities based on supporting one another. Those are the kind of lessons that we learned at that time because it was forced upon us. And it truly is a tragedy that we've not continued to great levels to support ourselves in very much the same way. That's the lesson that has been lost. So that growth and that wealth happened in approximately a 40-year span somewhat automatically developed among themselves. Now, would you say that that was a conscious or a no-choice move among those uh, blacks in Tulsa, Oklahoma? Well, it, it was forced upon us. I, I, I suspect that black folks, like any other human beings, look and look for and appreciate respect and the opportunity to be treated the same as every other human being. Consequently, if there was a grocery store and they had attractive fruit, quality meats, you'd want to go in and spend your money to buy the best produce or meat products. Once they were denied the opportunity to do that, we decided that rather than to do without good produce, or good needs, to build our own stores and to provide our own people with the same quality of produce, the same quality of meat, the same type of automobile, the same type of clothing. We learned that if we are denied that by the system or by society, that we have the ability to recreate a society for ourselves that supports us. And once we were able to do that, we were greatly satisfied and were very comfortable with doing it. The black folks in Tulsa at that time were not upset that they could no longer shop in white Tulsa. They were very happy and comfortable to stay within their community and do what they were doing because they were able to see how it reaped the benefits. The workers who went and served as maids and drivers and nannies in the white community, came back home and spent their dollars with their neighbors who ran the butcher shop, the bakery, the drugstore. And consequently, they saw those people spend the money to build better homes for themselves, to build better schools. Think about this. Booker T. Washington High School was the only high school at the time in North Tulsa and the Greenwood community. It was vastly superior to any of the white high schools in the rest of Tulsa because of racism. Every teacher at Booker T. Washington High School in 1921 had a Ph.D. Our children at that time were being taught by scholars. So there was no desire for integration. There was no push to say we need our black children to go to the white high school because going to those high schools in the rest of Tulsa would have meant they would have gotten a lesser qualified instructor teaching their children than what they were getting in their own community. So we adapted and we began to appreciate the difference. The the historical significance of the documentary before they die is one thing, 
but then the history before they died is another, and how it will apply after before they die. I'm looking at maybe if you were at the summit today, we probably would pass a motion and a resolution for that documentary prior to <laughs> 1921 from uh, back to 1880, and then another documentary that will uh, give, and if I don't know if this is correct or not, but as we talked about earlier in the program tonight, that the issues in Chicago are the same as New York, Oakland, San Diego, Atlanta, uh, 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 even Detroit of all cities, and Gary, Indiana of all cities. There wasn't a massacre but somehow the same disparity exists. How could that, before they die, be an instrument of, again, sometimes they say do not show a black movie of history because black folks might walk out of the movie house and start a riot. So be cool about certain movies that you show to black folks because of they might walk out and get mad. But at the same time, the history that you just have uh, portrayed to us prior to 1921, uh, from 1880 to 1921, and then the after effect that there really, there was a Bronzeville in Chicago that was similar to uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, but what has happened to us? Yes, we were uh, a part of the I Have a Dream. Uh, then we were a part of the um, the Malcolm X Black Nationalism. But how can you see the historical significance of before they die as an organizing tool for the present? Well, one of the things that we learn about history is that it is circular. It can be cyclical. Things go out of vogue just like fashions, and years later they come right back. The lessons that we learned in the building of Black Wall Street are the same lessons that we could apply today in Detroit and in Gary, and other similarly challenged places. Instead of trying to grow individual businesses, we have to grow as they teach you in business school, but they already knew in Tulsa, vertically integrated businesses. My business supports your business. Your business supports your neighbor's business, and vice versa. And it continues in that cycle so that as in Tulsa before the riot, the dollar circulated 36 times before it ever left. Consequently, what we have to do is apply those same principles that we learned during those times 
to the ventures which we are attempting to do today. And we have to recognize where the disconnections are and reconnect them this time around if we're going to duplicate that success. We do some of that now. We do that where black churches will support black funeral parlors. But if you don't have black limousine services providing hearses, if you don't have black cemeteries, if you don't use black cosmetologists to dress the bodies, you have to continue to add those other facets which we had in Tulsa at that time and in other communities that did have similar type of success where each hand not only received money, but it also shared money and opportunity. And it ended us, ended causing us to not simply shake hands in business, but to hold hands and to pull each other together in business. And those are the lessons that we should have learned and can still learn and apply in today's society because you're absolutely right. The issues in Detroit are the same issues in San Diego, in Cleveland, in Philadelphia. Black folks are no longer simply treated differently geographically. There used to be a time when everyone dreaded being in the South and ran to the North because opportunity was so much greater in the North. Now we see a large migration of people in the North returning or moving to the South. Oh yeah, so. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Let me uh, ask you: the how is the the audience that is watching before they die? I understand if you you know in Tulsa where you have where you stated that you had twenty five hundred people came to witness the documentary. Uh, what is the industry? Uh, perspective and view and embracing the uh, documentary. When I say the industry, uh, yes, again, uh, those folks, are, for example, uh, public broadcasting, have they embraced the uh, documentary uh, to the point that they want to air it or other people want to air it or is there some type of uh, for format where that have to happen or is your strategy that it's not time for that to happen to the uh, mass media to broadcast it? Well, you touched on a couple of very important issues for us. First of all, let me, let me take this time because I know my producing partner uh, and who's also my cousin but really my boss in this whole process, is going to jump on me because I've not mentioned our website where the film is available, which is www.beforetheydiemovie.com. Okay. Beforetheydiemovie.com, and this is where you can get a copy of the film. We are okay. distributing the film through the website because a percentage of all of the sales of the film the memorabilia which is available on the sites, T-shirts, hats, mugs, photographs, posters, all the things that we have created. The goal is to generate revenue, which we then pass on to the survivors. If we were to make a simple 
sale of the film to PDS or someone else, all the funds that we receive would not be enough to accomplish the goal that we seek for the survivors. They would reap the benefits from a sale. And when you go to public broadcasting, there is no sale per se uh, in comparison to a theatrical release. So what we have done, and we're in negotiations right now on two fronts. One, we were contacted last week by 60 Minutes. And they were completely blown away by the film and our efforts on behalf of the survivors because in 1999, they actually ran a segment on the Tulsa race riot and had completely forgotten about anything since then until they saw our film last week. Now they're anxious to do a follow-up story, which we believe will generate significant interest not only in the film, but especially in the movement which we have to try and compensate the living survivors. And let me point out, when we started this film, started this movement in 2003, we had 151 living survivors. Today, we have 46. Our goal... Our goal is to get reparations and compensation to these people before they die, and we believe that the 60 Minutes piece, when it is aired, will lead us significantly down that road to receiving the type of donations and support, which you can also donate directly to the survivors to the Tulsa Project at our website, beforetheydiemovie.com. You can make a donation any size, which goes directly to the survivors. Okay. Let's uh, go to a call if we can, uh, Reggie uh, or Sonia. Okay, you're listening to Black Wall Street USA. Caller from Chicago, you're on the air. Yes, hello. How you doing, yes, sir? Is this, is this Mark Allen? Yes, it is. Okay, how are you doing, sir? Man, I'm excited. I've been holding on to forget I forget I was holding on. I thought I was just running the program. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but listen, one of the things I just want to say is, is, is to the brother, we appreciate you. And so we, I'm already making a motion. It's already been seconded. It's already been passed. But we're going to move on the 60 minutes piece first. You tell us when we're done what two or three things need to happen first to make the things happen the way you need to. See, I remember years ago when Roots was the absolute litmus test for the world to show everybody. And, and so we're at that moment again in time. So if you lay out the strategy, we're not asking. We're telling people, here's what we got to do. So if it's 60 minutes first, this second, uh, you lay it out to Ron, lay it out to Sonia, but lay it out so that uh, when we come together Saturday, the motion will be on the floor and ready to move forward. And like in my judgment, I ain't asking nobody nothing. We're telling people, here's where we're going. So it ain't no excuse for Warren Ballantyne, Tom Joyner, Michael Bazin, Roland Martin, Black Caucus, you name it. You lay out the script for where you think this needs to go so that we can start moving on it and holding people accountable. Like I said before, I remember when Roots came out. You couldn't, you couldn't move without saying where you were in terms of moving that forward. And here we are today, before they died, and we got to move at that same level. So NABJ, don't make no difference. I'm asking you to lay out the script, and we're going to follow it 
uh, and make this thing happen when we get together this weekend. But I applaud you for what you're doing, and what you're doing is definitely in vain. And I've been watching those uh, clips on YouTube and all that, and there's, there's no way I can sit tight and, 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 my, and my bones be tired watching them say what they did back then with just common sense. And in 2010, we can't do with all this genius God gave us. So lay it out for us, and we're going to follow it up. Appreciate you, and we'll see you in Chicago. Thank you, my brother. Yes, well, uh, Brother Turner, let me tell you, when you come to a Black Wall Street Summit, yes, your documentary is educational, is insightful, is meaningful, is historic. But when you come to a Black Wall Street Summit in Chicago, there's action. So we're not just looking and viewing and feeling, but we follow up with action. So as Brother Mark indicated to you, um, yeah, show the documentary. But when you come to the summit, there is some follow-up to what we see and what we witness, okay? Well, that's a beautiful thing because our greatest enemy, aside from the ignorance on this issue, is that of time. As I said, we've gone from 151 living survivors to 46. I don't have the luxury of time to negotiate, to lobby, to listen to a lot of rhetoric about what could or should be done. It is about doing what needs to be done. Brother Mark pointed out some very significant points. We've done Warren Ballantyne's show. We've done other shows in the Chicago area and throughout the country where people have been told about the film to incur their support buying the DVD or coming out to support an event when the film was being shown and to have the opportunity to meet a survivor. But we have much bigger plans and needs. And let me say this. It is a black tragedy that we cannot blame on white folks or anyone else for holding us back from resolving this matter ourselves. One of my law partners who happens to be Jewish has said to me while writing a substantial check to support our film and our project that, Reggie, the only thing that bothers me about this is that if this had been a Jewish problem, we would have gotten together within our community over a weekend and raised enough money to take care of these people, and then we would have gone after the government. Where are your black athletes? Where are your black entertainers and captains of industry? Where are your media folks? Where is Oprah? Where are these people who could write a check that could change the lives of these people and at the same time send a message to this country that we as a people, though oppressed in many ways, can come together to rally and support our people and to take care of them in a humane way, send a message to them that we don't have to wait in line for the government cheese. The court has said we're not going to resolve this issue. Congress is dragging its feet on resolving this issue. And meanwhile, our people are dying. And those folks in Oklahoma and those folks throughout this country who do not wish to see us accomplish our goal are winning because their strategy is to delay deny, 
and hope these people die. And that is we cannot allow to happen. We must lead the action. We must bring about the 60-minute piece. We must bring about a theatrical release film which does more than simply talk about the riot. The piece that we have written that we are in negotiations with to create a theatrical film like Roots, a long-format television program, is unique in that its goal is to tell the story in the first four or five episodes of this piece about the building of the greatness of this community, to tell the story of the great work that was being done and all that was being accomplished and let it conclude with the riot so that you have a much clearer understanding of not only what existed before the riot, but what we as a people, and even more importantly, what we as a country lost with the riot. What is the as um, the the question is rising? Uh, well, where are, where are or have there been the communications with the uh, Oprah Winfrey's or the Quincy Jones or the uh, these the blacks that are in not just the movie industry uh, that have and could have some influence in not only the the focus of the, um, I guess, those that before they die, but also the historical significance uh, of the uh, documentary. Have there been any communications with those that have, uh, quote-unquote, uh, status quo in influencing to make certain things happen? Absolutely. Or is there an example of one that have already have uh, led their support? Well, I, I thank you for that because while I am extremely strident about our the lack of effort by those who could help remedy the situation, I would not be here today with a completed film to tell you the story without the support of, for example, Chicago's own John Rogers and the folks at Ariel Capital. Now, okay. John has put his personal funds to help create this film, finish the film, and to support our movement, and has been a champion for this cause, not only because his great-grandfather was the wealthiest black man, J.B. Stratford, in Tulsa at the time of the riot but because he also understands the historical significance of what was built and what was lost and the necessity for telling that story. There's a group based out of Washington. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I can't say, he's also a uh, sponsor for this uh, summit this weekend as well. Yes. There's a group out of Washington, D.C., a little-known group, and it's called the Executive Leadership Council. The ELC is made up of the top 400, 450 black executives, top black executives on Wall Street and in corporate America. The organization, under the leadership of Jessica Isaacs, their chairman of the board, and Carl Brooks, their outgoing president, has stood by us and created opportunities for us to, to uh, screen the film and also provided funds to support our efforts. Throughout. So there have been those who have stepped up to the challenge, 
But there are, let me give you an example. Our goal had been to raise $5 million, which would have worked out to roughly $50,000 per survivor at the time when we started. Now our goal has been reduced significantly because we just can't afford the time to try and generate those kind of funds. Not to say that $5 million is an unattainable goal. It's a drop in a bucket for the type of wealth that we have in this country. But if we were to raise $5,000 for the living survivors, we're talking $250,000. We could raise that in one night if we were to be able to bring together some of our great entertainers, put on one concert. Well, so, you know, I think that what uh, – go ahead. Mm-hmm. The national broadcast of a concert, sell tickets, sell it on the Internet, we could raise that money. If we brought together our basketball players and put on an exhibition basketball game somewhere, we could raise that kind of money. There are things that we can do that don't cost any one individual significant amount of money but allow each of us to contribute in our own way to solving this problem and to participate in changing history, to right this wrong. We can do this. All we have to do is do it. We have the ability. We have the connections. Now, there is, uh, again, I just want to uh, reiterate uh, what Mark Allen put on the table uh, that will be uh, discussed during the Q&A when the uh, uh, documentary will be shown this weekend to th- at the uh, summit. Uh, what I'd like to do, if you can hold just for a moment, is to go into a lineup uh, for our listeners exactly what's going to be happening uh, this weekend at the Black Wall Street First National Summit, which is Summit 13 for Black Wall Street Chicago. Um, Sonia, can you take those honors? I think I can handle that. You're listening to Black Wall Street USA with Ron Carter, chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. Our guest this evening is Reggie Turner, uh, head of the Tulsa Project. Uh, This is the first national uh, Black Wall Street Convention and Summit this weekend, August 20th and 23rd. We're going to kick off Friday uh, with the welcome reception at the offices of the South Street Journal, 449 East 35th Street in Chicago. That reception will begin at 4.30 p.m. The Reverend Jesse Jackson Sr. is expecting early, so please arrive early at the office. Uh, and for all of these events and for all of this line, all of these lineups, you can visit BlackWallStreetDistrict.com and uh, register on site. And we'll also open up the doors so that you can register as well. But you'll find all the information on our national website. It's BlackWallStreetDistrict.com, and I have put that in the chat room. Also, well, let's talk about. Uh, I'm not going to skip the summit. <laughs> no, Ron, I'm going to let you talk about the summit. But let's talk about the awards reception uh, the night, uh, Saturday, August 21st, where we honor all of those who have contributed to the Black Wall Street movement. And that particular evening, uh, Reggie Turner will be flying in and joining us for the screening of the movie Before They Die: The Story of the Tulsa Race Riot Survivors. And the, the doors will open at 6.30 p.m. at 2423 East 75th Street in Chicago. After the showing, 
of the documentary. There's going to be a Q&A session. And, Ron, I can almost believe there's going to be one Q&A session that Reggie Turner has never seen before because it's going to, proceed. <laughs> it's going to be after the summit, oh, and they get, they, get off of, oh. they get off of high energy out there from Mr. Turner after that summit. So by that time, by 6.30 at night is when the doors open, the screening starts at 7 p.m. They're going to be quite wound up after the showing of that movie. Oh, buddy. Oh, buddy. Uh, Mr. Turner, I, I hope you'll be ready for it. But uh, I'm pretty sure you ran into many Q&As, but this is going to be one. Okay, Sonia, go ahead. Go ahead. One I'm looking forward to. One I'm looking forward to. I enjoy our people. That's okay. okay. And uh, we also, uh, Jay Denise Clement, who is the producer of that film, will be joining us, and we're, we hope that we can be honored with Miss Jeanette Bradshaw, one of the survivors, and uh, that would just that just would be a wonderful thing. So we're, we're looking forward to that evening very, very much. Also going to go to the National Prayer Breakfast. We're going to come back to the summit, Ron. I'm not missing Summit 13. We're going to come okay. back to it, and I just, I just want to let them know that uh, Sunday, August 22nd, uh, will be the National Prayer Breakfast at the Chicago South Loop Hotel, which is located at 11 West 26th Street in Chicago. That's from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. And uh, uh, Michael Carter, the National President, and Reverend Al Sampson will lead us in prayer that morning. And uh, if you've looked at our website, you will see uh, the most beautiful decor of this hotel posted on our website. We're going to serve a full breakfast that morning. Now, Ron, I'm going to give you the floor. Let's talk about Summit 13. Summit 13, the first national summit of Black Wall Street, USA, where it's not just going to be about Chicago. It's going to be about the United States, USA. With that in mind, we're going to open our uh, summit uh, with a breakfast reception uh, at 8, uh, 8 o'clock a.m. From there, we will be naturally having our opening prayer from our uh, national chairman, Michael Carter. Uh, we will call the meeting to order. And as we call the meeting, the summit to order, we will have a national overview of city planning. Uh, as we focus on the present, there's also a plan for the year 2040 in Chicago as it relates to other cities as well. So we want to get an overview of what these cities, what the nation is doing so that we can have a perspective as we move forward on the other issues on the agenda. And with that in mind, we still would do a, um, there's a book on uh, Greenwood uh, that will give our participants uh, an overview, a pre-overview of Black Wall Street and the roots of where it came from and how it relates to Black Wall Street uh, organizations today. Uh, we will move on with a concept of follow the money. And follow the money is that Black Wall Street Chicago, along with its um, other partners around the country, our business organizations, so money will be the focus in following the money. We will move on to business development uh, program and then move on to strategies for black Wall Street districts. We are very um, 
excited, very honored that here in Chicago we started off with one black Wall Street district. Now we're moving up to approximately six black Wall Street districts in just one year. So the national, I'm sorry, not the national, but the uh, Chicago Urban League former president, Cheryl uh, Jackson, in 2007 indicated that Chicago will be the next Black Wall Street. I'm not for sure if she knew the impact of what she said, where we are moving forward with that with our six Black Wall Street districts in Chicago. So we will be talking about the strategies of Black Wall Street and also the strategies from around the country to um, look at what happened or how do we recreate the Tulsa, Oklahoma uh, black economic stability. Uh, with that, our, another part of the summit will be black contractors in the neighborhood where we are seeking parity in with black contractors in our neighborhoods uh, to the point that parity is if we have 90% black population, we want 90% black contractors. The issues of black contractors, again, is the same all over the country. So we're going to be focusing on that. And then the other part of the uh, summit will, will be a panel on ex-offenders, hiring policies, tax credits, and liability and what business owners uh, should know. We understand that the black community is under siege as it relates to the prison population and as the prison uh, industry has even converted to a profit operation. So that is based on creating a market for the prison industry. As we look at that, and as many uh, blacks are majority in our prisons based on their uh, uh, their parity does not equal the their population. So we're higher in the prisons but lower in the population. Uh, and as many of our uh, uh, people are released, we have to prepare for the benefits that we can give them through tax credits and through programs to help make them more uh, uh, marketable in this economy that has that cloud over ex-offenders. We will move on to a panel that will address uh, women in business and the significance of women and how they have move a, and they are a, a giant part of the stability of economics is not only the business leaders but the insight of how they touch the the, 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 the spirit uh, of business that we have to have. We'll move on to international trade and uh, in which we want to spread our wings not just here in Chicago uh, and around the country, but also international trade, not just in uh, Africa, but as in other countries as well. 
and we understand with another panel we'll be addressing our youth and how do we prepare our youth for the economic stability of our future. How do we get them to be more conscious aware of uh, controlling the economics of their community uh, and being prepared for it now so that we can don't repeat where we are today. And then always uh, a panel will address the black economics of the church. And we understand that that is a very um, uh, instrumental institution in our black community where the dollars are there, but those dollars does not reflect the, the strength that we have as we work with the churches. And then there is the panel to address uh, the black-green national uh, uh, stability of technology when it comes to green, blacks and green, and how we need to be more focused on that. But with that, after we address our workshops, we will have one of the most dynamic speakers uh, that I've known. Uh, and if I can put it to the point on the level of a Malcolm X and a Martin Luther King wrapped up together, um, the attorney Thomas Todd would be uh, giving us a key address. And we will also, again, go back to a legislative plan of action, which um, Mark Allen will be the facilitator, and where we will address parity of contracts, and we will raise the question of blacks versus minority. We will continue with a marketing advertising strategies for black businesses, and we will also address the marketing of of the the whole concept of the Black Wall Street, and that marketing also can consist of that motion when it comes to using and promoting uh, the documentary before they die as a historical point of why we have to have a more strategic marketing. Uh, based on the past and how it relates to the present. And we will, uh, in our get ready to end that Saturday with, uh, Harmeen Hartman, who is the, uh, publisher and editor of Indigo Magazine. She is part of a business organization that, um, Ariel Capital is a member of, and giving us an overview of the state of businesses in Chicago. And naturally, we will wrap it up at the end with a review of the summit as it relates to resolutions and as it relates to actions that we will follow up with. So, And then we will close it out. So we have a very intense agenda and a very... Uh, short period of time to cover those subjects, but Black Wall Street Chicago is working on this 13th uh, summit, so we really know how to get it done. So it seems to be a lot, but our facilitators, our panelists, our uh, key address speakers know that when coming to a Black Wall Street Economic Summit, 
presentations are fine. Even before we die, documentary is a presentation, but we're looking at how we can take each part of this summit and move it into a resolution of action uh, to all with the purpose of sustaining and increasing black businesses. So, Sonia, that is our platform for Saturday as we uh, address this summit. And, again, just jumping on to Sunday, we will wrap it up on Sunday uh, afternoon with a leadership meeting. Um, the public is divided, but you must RSVP for that, that we will give a a a, a focus of where we go from here, not only for next year's summit, but the parts that have to take place and how do we measure what we're going to do for here for us here in Chicago to measure those results within uh, the next 90 days. So, Mr. Uh, Turner, please take in consideration that as Mark would may, may uh pull the from the audience a resolution on how we need to support you and your efforts in action that we will be monitoring what we motion on a 90-day period of results. So there we go, Sonia. There we go, uh, listeners and callers, the uh, Black Wall Street Economic Summit, the first black economic summit celebrated and honored here in Chicago, Illinois. That's a great lineup, Ron Carter. You listen to Black Wall Street USA with Ron Carter and Sonia Purdue. Want to let Mr. Turner know that uh, as part of these uh, summits, Mr. Turner, once you bring a resolution to the floor, it's not a convention, it's a summit. Everybody gets to vote on it. So, and, uh, Everyone will not be able to speak on it, although they will try one thing, Ron. <laughs> yes, they will. Everybody will try to speak. <laughs> but, but this is with this lineup. With this lineup, uh, who, who is our sergeant at arms? Christina Nett, Christiana Nance. Where are yes. you? Uh, we got a sergeant at arms. Right. going to be a full, full swing on Saturday. I'm quite oh, sure. Yeah. Let me say a little bit about some of the people uh, in the workshops. Uh, who have supported us and work and work very hard uh, to bring to bring these uh, initiatives forward? Uh, international Trade, Kuma Brooks, uh, has a quite an interesting international lineup, and her perspective is is just wonderful. She's been working in that in that area for over 20 years and has 12 traveled to about 20 countries in Africa. So we certainly want her to be part of that. Linda Carter, woman in business. Uh, a couple of our panelists, Pepper, Pepper Mill and Zelda Robinson, will be joining her on that team. Uh, Mr. Craig Mathis uh, for the Chicago Youth, him and Darius Randall. Randall is 24 years old, and uh, Darius is 24 years old, and he did run for Illinois State Rep here uh, a short while ago. So we're very excited about this youth agenda. And Mr. Mathis, who is uh, – the CFO of Tribe Nation is also a sponsor, and we appreciate appreciate him being part of what we do. The Black Church Economic Agenda, Reverend Al Sampson, will be joining us. 
Black and Green National Sustainability Agenda. Naomi Davis will be a part of what we're doing. Ms. Anita and her team will be heading up the Black Contractors. Um, as far as uh, business development, that will be Mr. Armstrong, who is a board member of Black Wall Street Chicago. Follow the Money concept uh, will be headed up by board members Obi Wordlaw, Shirley Henderson, and Earlene Thomas will be make that presentation. That's to follow the money. And, of course, our newest uh, chairperson down in Peoria will uh, take the reins for the National Overview of City Planning. He's looking forward to, to laying that out uh, for us. We also want to take take the time, and I want to thank uh, Cheryl Gavin. I want to thank everyone who supported us, but Cheryl Gavin, who is uh, actually the overall facilitator for the workshops and presentations, we want to, and, and also your vice chair for uh, almost two years now. We want to thank Cheryl uh, for all that she does, uh, and all her, very much so, and all her fairness. She's to the point, but she's fair, and uh, I, li- I like I like Cheryl's style a lot. And I and I want to thank her for her support and all the work that she has put into this summit. I really I really appreciate that. Ron, let's try and take a minute. I don't want to miss anyone, and if I do, please forgive us, to thank our sponsors. Would you do that for us? And I'll fill in. Sure. Yeah, um, we're very honored as, um, as a sponsor and supporter of Before We Die documentary is Aerial Capital, uh, area, area Investments is what they're called now. Uh, the Chicago Defender uh, newspaper is one of our media partners. Tried is a part of us. Seaway uh, Bank, uh, they finally came to be a part of us. Um, whoa, who else is there? Naturally, uh, our very own South Street Journal newspaper and the Chicago Black Business Network is a major oh. sponsor in oh, making this here happen. Uh, then there is, uh, oh, I'm missing a couple of them. Shame on me. Uh, <laughs> the uh, Citizen newspaper has been very instrumental in uh, uh, promoting and taking part, and they will be present at the summit. Matter of fact, we have to back up. We missed one important part. There are going to be some uh, awards, uh, and one award is going to be going to the oldest black established living business in the United States that we know of. Maybe, Mr. Turner, you can give us some other news. But the Chicago Defender newspaper will be getting an award for uh, its longevity of existence. Uh, and they, are, again, are one of our sponsor media partners. Uh, so... The uh, sponsorship is not like it would be, uh, but I, you know, to, to say what I'm about to say, that is something. I would like to, when we address sponsorship, yes, we're open to everyone, uh, and we want the support of everyone, but it's very important for Black Wall Street Chicago to have black businesses corporate, black corporate people to support and be our sponsors. I think it would be self-defeating, and again, no offense against Coca-Cola, 
McDonald's or um, Apple or IBM or Target or Walmart to be our sponsors. They have very been those type of companies have been very instrumental in supporting many black promotional activities. But it is very uh, dear to us that we have black corporate and businesses to be our sponsors. Uh, we're not to take anything away from any existing business, but our mission, again, is to sustain and increase black businesses. And as much as we need the financial stability of funding to do what we want, there is a priority to promote our own and to engage them uh, to be part of our sponsorship. Uh, that's my editorial, Sonia, but have I missed any other sponsor? See, Ron, you, uh, Area Capital, Chicago South Loop Hotel, where we're holding uh, the Correct. National Prayer Breakfast. Which is a black-owned hotel. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Tribe, uh, Tribe, who is a sponsor, Chicago Defender, who is a media partner, and we want to thank Adrian Jones over there at the Chicago Defender for putting it all together for us and establishing this partnership. She worked mm-hmm. worked very hard. Of course, the time join the show, Football Classics, Southeast Chamber of Commerce, Talking Success. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, very much so. Mm-hmm. Very much so. We want to reach out to Angie over there. Uh, what's your general, uh, medical, general medical uh, supplies, uh, Mr. Wardlaw. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. We appreciate we appreciate Mr. Uh, Obi Wordline. We definitely do, and want to thank him for everything. Um, want to thank uh, Talking Success, uh, Renault Tatum, for inviting Correct. you and Mark Allen on a couple of shows, and, and you know, reaching out and helping helping us with that PR during the promotion mm-hmm. of this event. Also, Wanda Muhammad, What's on Your Mind, Channel 21. We did an interview with her. Uh, so we appreciate Wanda. She, she ran that a couple of times for us on Channel 21. Miss Arnita Spinks is heading up the black contractor section of WBGX. Uh, had uh, Mark Allen, uh, the young man who called in, Mr. Turner, he's an associate uh, editor for South Street Journal and a board member of Black Wall Street Chicago. She had him on the show about four times in the past month in order to assist us in uh, bringing forth this information. Mr. Rick McCoy, the Regal Theater, of course, Indigo, Scott Cohen, and uh, you know Mr. Cohen better than I do. Uh, tell our listeners who he is. He is the uh, candidate for governor of the uh, state of Illinois. We have a... Uh, a policy here at Black Wall Street that if the incumbent do not make themselves available to our uh, participants, our audience, then the opponent has the right to represent that office. And Scott Cohen has stepped up not only to help in the sponsorship of the uh, summit, but has also stepped up to address specific agenda items as it relates to uh, our legislative agenda. That's great. Let's see. Uh, 
trying not to miss anybody. If I do, please forgive me. Uh, Bean Suit Times is also being a supporter. Uh, the Citizens Newspapers, our Suburban, and the Chicago Crusader. We also are getting a number of calls from people who are sending reporters, which is very exciting. Chicago Crane even called today. I didn't tell you that, did they? They're sending oh, somebody over. Oh, okay, well. Are they going to pay their registration? Are they going to pay their registration? I'll I'll take that back. I'm part of the media. Media do not do those Uh, things. Okay, uh I'll take that back. I'll take that Uh back. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, and I want to thank uh, the members of Chicago's BlackBusinessNetwork.com, for which I am a founder. Uh, I sent an email out there asking for their assistance in promoting this, and they came right on for with that. Uh, and, and I don't want to miss anyone. And please, uh, and if, if I do, please forgive me. Moody Vision Movies is one of my supporters. What you need, uh, that's Cynthia over there, and she has some great email blasts. Larson and Associates uh, sent out a blast for us. Ms. Sherry Burrell, she has a PR and marketing firm uh, worldwide, uh, gave us some tremendous support doing this week. So it is exciting. It is exciting. Uh, it's the kind of spirit that goes on. Like when I walk in the public library and just hand on my Black Wall Street t-shirt, a young man just walked past me and said, you know what, I'm really feeling that Black Wall Street. And that's how it's going. You know, we got 90 seconds, Ron. I want to thank well, Mr. Turner. I, okay. 90 seconds? 90 seconds. <laughs> and I let you do all that talking? Yes, you did. Oh, my gosh. Okay, go ahead. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I want to thank <laughs> Reggie Turner for being with us. I know you didn't know this would be two hours, did you, Mr. Turner? <laughs> we, we, we do appreciate you. We really, really do. And good luck to you and your family down in Phoenix. Ron, thank you for all that you do. Our night is not over, people. We're going back to work. We want to thank you very much for listening to Black Wall Street USA, and we want to see you this weekend in Chicago at the first Black National Black Wall Street National Convention and Summit. And I hope I'm, I'm feeling better and sounding better tomorrow. Thank you so much, and good night, everyone. Good, good night. night. Good, good night, Ron. Have a good evening, everyone. We appreciate you.